Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. Every year, the looming threat of climate change becomes more of a reality. We often talk about the climate crisis as something that's really far off in the future. But the truth is that we're already experiencing the consequences of environmental destruction right here in Detroit. Think of the flooding and the heat waves which cause major blackouts. If we don't respond to these warnings, the poorly adapted infrastructure and the rampant environmental inequality in the city are only going to get worse. And as other places adapt to climate change, we might even need to prepare for more people coming here to Michigan in the form of climate migration. The question is, are we ready for the future of climate change here in Detroit and the effects that are already having an impact on us and our communities right now? And how do we expand our climate infrastructure in a way that doesn't disproportionately affect those already most affected by climate change in this city? Later in the hour, we're going to talk with environmental justice organizer Justin Anwenu about how to promote a culture of sustainability here in the Motor City, where even our nickname is steeped in industrialism. But first, here to talk about the potential for climate migration in the Great Lakes region and how to equitably adjust our infrastructure for that possibility is Beth Gibbons. She is the executive director of the American Society of Adaptation Professionals. Beth, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to get to be here. So I, I want to start with just the, the, the very idea of climate migration, which is something we don't talk a whole lot about. But it's true that Michigan, because of our proximity to the Great Lakes, because of the climate that we have, is a likely place that some people may want to move to as the planet warms and other places in this country become intolerable in, in the sense of uh, their, their climate and the ability to live there comfortably. But, but let's talk about how realistic that is and how much we should be focusing on the possibility of that, given that we don't talk that much about it. Is this something that is very likely or not very likely to actually happen? That's a... Um that's really at the core of the question that ASAP, the American Society of Adaptation Professionals, has been trying to get at over the last year or two years of work that we've been doing. As I like to say, there is this tantalizing idea that the Great Lakes region would be a region that would attract people to it because we have a temperate climate, because we have an abundance of water, because we have a history of innovation, because we have a core of amazing cities and amazing places. You can, you can imagine people as they're seeking refuge from the climate crisis, which is breaking out globally and across our country and across North America, um, we imagine people moving here, but we've really been trying to get at that question of, can we model it? Can we predict it? Can we find signals that are happening already that would say that this is something that we, that we can guarantee? Um, 
and I would say just as a spoiler alert to this <laughs> conversation, um, you know, we're really still in the process of learning. And it is, it's a new question and it's a new kind of science to try to bring climate impacts into demographic modeling or migration and the way people move. And so we're really still at the early phase of answering that question of what can we know for sure. Hmm. So so I also want to talk just a little about the evidence that climate change is already affecting life here in Detroit and throughout Southeast Michigan. I think that's another thing that we don't talk a lot about. I think we react to things as they happen. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, if, if, if you're like me and have grown up here in the 70s and 80s and now live here in the, the 2020s, there's no question that there's a lot of difference in the, the climate. I mean, there are a lot of things that I can remember happening regularly as a, a child here in terms of weather and climate that don't happen anymore. And then there are all kinds of things that happen now that I don't remember ever seeing as a child. But 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 let's talk just a little about how we know what the effects of climate change are here in southeast Michigan and and why you think we ought to be concerned about them. Yeah, I'd be happy to talk about that. So, I mean, one one thing that I'll say sometimes is that we are now in it. We are now feeling the impacts of climate change every day. We can look around globally or nationally and see that, but locally, we're seeing it with more severe storms, these punctuated um, rain events. The, you know, even this week, the experience that we had of these intense rainstorms that are flooding out our streets. We're seeing it in the increase in heat events. And heat events aren't just a hot day, but a series of hot days. And amazingly, the human body isn't great at regulating its own temperature. And so it needs these cooling periods at night. And we're not getting those. We're seeing more occurrences of extended heat events. And they're devastating for people's health. And they're devastating for the health of people in a city like Detroit, where there are really significant differences in how heat is experienced across the city as a legacy of planning and design and policy um, dating back to dating back to redlining in the city and coming forward today to where we have more and less trees and tree canopy that allow for greater cooling at night. So when we take the the heat events, the rain events, um, there's a series of natural you know things happening in our natural system. Um, you know, increase in ticks. Anybody who's been out in you know out in a wooded area, out in nature in Southeast Michigan, has been experiencing this increase in the activity of ticks. That's a um, climate related change. And then we're also seeing on the other side, really a um, what we will call a loss of winter. And so we're seeing fewer um, really heavy snow days. Mm -hmm. Our winter season is compacted. We're seeing the thaw come earlier. And we're also seeing, you know, that, that fall season extend deeper into the winter. And on one hand, um, I think that there's a pride in being a Michigander and like handling a hardy winter. And then there's also kind of a laughing it off, like, oh, a little less winter, that's okay. But it's significant because things like that change how people interact with their environment. 
if it only gets really cold, really snowy a couple days a year, you might not be buying the boots and the snow pants that you need for your kids. And then when those events come, then do you send them out in the snow? Do you send them out to walk to school to wait for the bus? Any case, these are kind of these cascading questions. They're really live and they're very much with us today. Now, climate change isn't just something that is a threat outside of our communities. It's something that comes right into our city, comes into our homes, um, that may be in the form of the route that you're driving to work. It may be in the fact that you're getting water in your basement, you're seeing more flooding, and how we address those impacts is really a question that we need to deal with today for the people who are here today, for the people who have been in Detroit for generations. And then it also leads us into this conversation of what happens as we might imagine more people migrating to this region, migrating to Detroit. How do we ensure that we've taken care of the people who are here already and that we're preparing for not just climate change, but also demographic change and population change, which mm. may be coming our way. Mm. I'm talking with Beth Gibbons. She's the executive director of the American Society of Adaptation Professionals. We're talking about climate change. We're talking about climate change more globally and the effects that we're seeing all over the planet and all over our country. But we're also talking about it specifically here in southeast Michigan and uh, in the city of Detroit, the kinds of things that tell us that climate change is happening now and at the consequences of that climate change are playing out now in our lives. The question is, what do we do about it? And how do we prepare for a future in which all kinds of people will be reacting to climate change and maybe even deciding to relocate because other parts of our country or the world become less comfortable to live in and as Michigan perhaps becomes more hospitable? What should we be doing to get ready for that possible eventuality? Uh, we would love to hear from you during this conversation uh, as well. Have you been seeing the effects of climate change where you live here in southeast Michigan? Call and tell us what they are. What tells you that uh, things are different when it comes to weather uh, and and uh, the, the climate more generally? Um, how would you like to see the city of Detroit and the state of Michigan adapt to those changes? What kind of things do you think we ought to be doing that maybe we're not doing or thinking about uh, right now? <clears throat> also, give us a call and let us know if you're concerned about the idea of Michigan becoming a destination as climate migration transforms our national population dispersal. Are you okay with the idea of people moving here from maybe the Southwest uh, as, as it gets hotter in, in places like that um, and saying that they want to be Michiganders. Uh, what kinds of things do you think we need to be doing to prepare for that possibility? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and to Twitter and put comments there, and uh, we'll try to include you in the show that way. Beth, before we get to our listeners, uh, I want to put that question to you about preparing our infrastructure for uh, current or oncoming environmental crises, but also preparing for this idea of perhaps a, a growth in population as people decide that uh, the climate here in Michigan is better than it is where they are now. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and I appreciate the framing of saying the environmental crisis of today and what may be coming because it's really important. What's really critical when we think about climate change impacts is we could think about them as um, as a threat multiplier or you could think about them as ex exacerbating existing vulnerabilities or shortcomings essentially in the services that have been present up until now. And so when I think about this topic and begin relating it into the city of Detroit and in, into Southeast Michigan broadly, I think it's really important that we're thinking about um, the way that we invest in neighborhoods that have been historically disinvested from. So as we're thinking about places which have suffered the greatest air quality impacts, places which have had fewer investments in terms of um, tree planting, green infrastructure, water, stormwater management, we need to get those concerns under control today. And these are concerns that have been being raised um, for a long time by the environmental justice community. Air quality will only be further damaged as we see these more extended heat events. Um, when we think about those combined sewer overflows, which are a problem that the city of Detroit faces in many legacy cities across the, the Great Lakes region face, we need to be thinking about where do those stormwater overflows occur already and getting that under control. Um, I think that Detroit Water Sewer District is really um, aware of this. They are utility and entity that's really thinking about the way climate change is impacting their service delivery. And I definitely need to give them credit for that mm -hmm. work that they're, that they're putting out there. Um, and so thinking about that first, you know, we can say that um, climate change, especially here, I'd say, is not aliens landing on Earth. It's really identifying where have we failed previously and how will we identify those weaknesses and address them now using this, you know, motivator for greater action. And so, um, so we take those pieces, then we start talking about infrastructure. And when we talk about infrastructure, what's really important is that we're starting to build to a climate of the future. And so we are seeing, you know, increased heat, increased storms, increased rain, we can't put in roads and bridges and infrastructure pieces that are not actually going to be able to withstand the impacts of the future. And so this is where we start having to bring engineers along on this journey and say, we need you to be thinking about the um, future storm, what we would call the return intervals. So this is, you hear people say a, a five-year storm, a 10-year storm, a 100-year storm, a 500-year storm. Well, those kinds of designations all need to be updated because they need to reflect the actual weather and the, the climate that we're moving into today. Along with that, we need to bring along FEMA. You know, FEMA creates flood maps mm -hmm. and many of those maps are woefully out of date. There's a huge need to update those maps so that people are aware of their risk and importantly, are able to access the resources from FEMA and from other agencies when a disaster occurs. And so um, as we think about infrastructure, we think about changes, there's a lot of environmental justice concerns which are well-documented and need to be addressed today. And then there is thinking about the way that we upgrade our infrastructure, build new infrastructure, which needs to be incorporating new climate information so that it is not the, not the infrastructure of 2010, but the infrastructure of, you know, 2070 and 2100, it'll still be there secure, serving people well um, into the future of the city. Mm. 
Uh, Greg on Twitter says, when climate change uh, migration comes up in the context of Detroit, I always think of the line from only lovers left alive. There's water here, and when the cities in the south are burning, this place will bloom. Really interesting uh, perspective there from Greg. Let's go to the phones. Uh, Shalina in Ypsilanti. Shalina, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Hi. Thanks for Hi. Um, so this is my thoughts about it. What I'd really love is for the governor of Michigan to take a playbook from the Alaska um, people, the way they um, handled their oil, and I would like us to get control over our water rights. I think it's really important for governors around the Midwest region to team up and do that and secure that, not just for the Midwest, but for the country and the world. And we certainly shouldn't have large corporations like Nestle, who aren't even American corporations, having any sort of rights to our water the way they have. Mm. Uh, Shalina, that, that is a subject that does come up a lot, is A, who who owns the Great Lakes and who will have a say over you know who who can use that water and for what and for what purpose? I I, I like your idea of Governor Whitmer and other governors around uh, the region working together to try to figure out the answers to that. Uh, Beth Gibbons, what do you what do you make of that? First, just want to say, Shalina, I'm also an Ipsy, so just <laughs> to Ipsy, um, and. I really agree. I think that's actually one of the topics that has driven ASAP into this area. And what we need to understand is not just the way demographic, not just the way people are moving, but business is changing too. And we're starting to see greater agricultural, um, what are called commodity cropping. So soy and corn being produced in the Great Lakes region. And that kind of land use has a very high impact, Hmm. which means it can have greater runoff, greater pollution into the lakes. Um, And so just wholly, it's really important for our governors um, to understand what is happening in terms of population and economic change in the region so that we are thinking about the ways in which we are going to protect the Great Lakes. Um, They are 20% of the world's surface freshwater, 80% of the U.S. surface freshwater. Um, this is the most precious resource. I would, I will argue it's the most precious resource in the world. Mm. And so we have got to be aware of how we are going to manage it. And I will call this a compassionate stewardship model. I think it is important for us to be aware of our role as stewards, but also to be aware of our role as we look around the world. And yeah, the the next wars will be water wars. And what will we do with this abundance of water? How will it be um, a resource that can be equitably shared Mm. in our region, but potentially beyond because there will be many demands and we have got to be prepared. We we can't be thinking about it, you know, at the moment of, um, you know, at the moment of crisis. This is where long-term planning and visioning becomes really important so that policies are in place to protect and to steward this critical resource. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Will on Twitter says, are we ready for the political landscape changes that could come from climate migration? More, quote, well-off white conservatives who might be able to afford a cross-country move coming to Michigan. Obviously, that could alter the political balance in our state. It's one of the things that uh, I think your work is really focused on, Beth, is how this migration would affect not just politics, but but of course policy and the 
the, the gaps that, that exist between those who have means uh, and those who don't, which could, could get worse, I suppose, if, uh, if the population grows in a certain way here. Yeah, that's a. I think that's a very astute observation, and it it goes back to the other the other comment that we heard of where are people going to be moving from? We know thirteen point one million households um, along the U.S. coasts are expected to be fully inundated, so people probably won't live underwater in twenty one hundred. So those people are going to move, right? But who is going to have the capacity to make a long haul move versus a short hop out of harm's way? When mm-hmm. we start thinking about where those other um, push factors are and how do we want to be creating a national environment where people have the opportunity to prepare for think about a move in a um, in a way that is really intentional and that that's not just an opportunity for wealthy you know wealthy predominantly white people um, because that leads to all it leads to crisis across the board um, so I think that that question is one that that we're grappling with. I don't have an answer for yeah. how how that will change. I, I mean, I also think there's a possibility that when people start experiencing, I maybe I'm an optimist or something. <laughs> like, if people actually are actively experiencing climate migration and making these kinds of decisions, one would hope that that experience would also create a kind of level of awareness then that might bring them to act in ways that are more empathetic, sympathetic, human to others. But that might not, that might be more (laughs) optimistic than the COVID crisis would say that I should observe. (laughs) But healthy optimism. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation. We're going to keep Beth Gibbons, who's executive director of the American Society of Adaptation Professionals. Uh, We're also going to add another voice to this conversation. Justin Unwainu, who is a Detroit-based environmental justice organizer, is going to join us as well. We will also continue to hear from you, Jim in Gross Point, Madeline in Suburbia, Robert in Detroit, and Heather in Ferndale. Uh, We will get to you next. If you want to join them on the phones, 313-577-1019 is the number. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Beth Gibbons. She's an executive director of the American Society of Adaptation Professionals. We've been talking about climate change, both in a global sense and in a local sense, the impacts we're all seeing already from climate change uh, and what they may mean, not just now, but in the future. Uh, I also want to add another voice to the conversation right now. Justin Anwenu is a Detroit-based environmental justice organizer. He is also on the Governor's Ex- Advisory Council for Environmental Justice and the Black Leadership Advisory Council. Justin, welcome back to Detroit Thanks. Today. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Uh, and as always, we want to hear from you during this uh, segment as well. Uh, give us a call and tell us what you think 
uh, about climate change? How are you taking note of it uh, in your life here in Southeast Michigan? The things that you think are different because the planet is warming. Also, give us a sense of what you think we ought to be doing about it. Uh, how should we be preparing for a future uh, in which the climate is really different here in, in Michigan? And how should we be and whether we should be preparing for the idea of people to move here from other places that become less comfortable to live in uh, as Michigan with its abundant supply of fresh water uh, becomes more desirable. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, and uh, we'll try to include your comments from social media uh, that way. Uh, Justin, before we get back to listeners, I, I want to talk to you just a bit uh, about about the effort here in Detroit, which I think looks really different than it does in some other Southeast Michigan uh, communities. Uh, talk about our history as a Rust Belt city, creating different layers, I think, of, of difficulty in, in dealing with climate change and adapting, but also uh, the ways in which we adapt to making the city greener without leaving Detroiters behind, talking about these inequalities that exist uh, in, in our city. Balancing those two, I think, is one of the toughest tasks we face, but but just dealing with each uh, is, is a challenge in and of itself. You're absolutely right. I think our, our history, the city of Detroit's history, presents a number of challenges, but also opportunities as we take on climate change. In terms of challenges, I think you know, our industrial history means that we have, you know, a lot of facilities, a lot of uh, sites that have not been remediated that are uh, causing the, the sorts of pollution that worry us from a climate perspective. I also think that in terms of challenges, the the level of poverty that we're dealing with means that climate may not be at the top of people's priority list um, of issues. But I think when climate is just uh, discussed as not just um, an environmental issue, but issues that face people on an everyday basis when it comes to pollution, when it comes to having a safe um, and healthy place to live. These are issues that I think Detroiters care about, and they're deeply connected uh, to climate change. Um, the state of Michigan, and in particular Detroit, we're facing a number of challenges when it comes to flooding and stormwater management, water quality and water access, Extreme heat uh, places a, a significant burden and a particular burden on Detroit, given our, our levels of poverty and our housing stock. And then also utility and electric costs, um, which are already a burden for many Detroit customers, given our, our housing stock and just high rates of, of electric bills. All of these are, are challenges that, that are particularly acute in Detroit. I also think, you know, given our, our industrial history, uh, the history of our workers um, and creating the middle class, we do have an opportunity if we capitalize on it, if we take advantage of, of just the workers and the, and the opportunity that we have to invest in, you know, replacing lead service lines, to invest in clean energy and electric vehicle infrastructure, to invest in workforce training. So there are, you know, many challenges that make organizing and make uh, fighting uh, climate change in Detroit a particular feat. But I also think we have a lot of opportunities ahead of ourselves. Um, if if we if we're you know diligent and if we're taking advantage of the opportunities ahead of us, yeah. So, uh, Justin, if if you can s sort of think about the things that we 
are doing and the things that we should be doing to try to adapt the city and the way we live in the city to climate change, what, what would be two or three things on your list? Right. So I always say, again, climate change is not just about our environment. It's about making sure that our communities and that our neighborhoods are, are, safe, are safe and healthy. So I think of, you know, access to quality food, good jobs and good health as, as a part of what our climate strategy should look like. So, you know, in the face of um, climate, I think things like cooling centers, grocery stores, uh, investment in stormwater management, and of course, investment in water infrastructure and water affordability have to be at the forefront of, of what we're doing to make sure that our neighborhoods are resilient. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there, and uh, we will try to work you into the conversation. Uh, let's go to Robert in Detroit. Robert, what's on your mind? Hi. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about how Michigan might be a, a, a place where everybody wants to come and live and vacation uh, because of warmer uh, temperatures and everything like that. And we kind of in the back of our head feel like, oh, that's kind of a good thing. We're going to be living in the, in the center of the world or whatever. But uh, who is to say that these extreme temperature changes and, and the climate changes are not going to kill off the trees that we already have here that cannot, um, cannot bear these extremes? And with all the sand underneath um, the state that we might become more like Arizona or um, hmm. California, where there are all the wildfires all the time. And um, it, it, it might be a place where people come, but, you know, the Great Lakes um, can dry up. And uh, we, might, we might not have the kind of climate that we're hoping for. Huh. That's a really interesting. That's a really interesting observation, Robert. I'm glad you called and uh, and made that. Uh, Beth Gibbons, uh, react to what Robert's saying. Is this is this idea that people will want to move here predicated on a climate that may not even exist uh, in the in the future in Michigan? Well, it's certainly predicated on the idea that we're going to be taking action to ensure that we are a place that people can live healthy and safe lives. And so I think some of what Robert alluded to, um, I don't I don't know that the lakes will dry up, but the lakes could become, you know, um, unusably polluted. Um, we do think about tree planting as an adaptation strategy in itself, but he's right. Tree species are changing and we need to be thinking now about what are the trees that we need to be planting and how do we need to help to ensure our forests don't continue being, you know, what we call monoculture that has really emerged over the last uh, several decades. We need to we need to be thinking about our whole system so that we're adapting as well. In Michigan and all places face risk, and so I don't think that we are going to go in a direction maybe as as severe as some of what Robert suggested. But our work on this topic is really long term is long-term work. And it's saying, let's make sure that we are preparing our economies and our ecosystems and our services so that we are able to retain a high quality of life for people here into the future. And that will take action and planning. Yeah. Uh, Justin, go ahead. I I was just going to say, you know, in 2019, Senator Sabanow released a report detailing all of the climate impacts that are facing Michigan. And outlined in that report uh, were descriptions of you know, disruption to agricultural crop yields, commercial shipping uh, disruption, giving fluctuating water levels, 
erosion and flooding, asthma and other health impacts tied to smog and pollution, and also even things like an extended allergy season. So, you know, this notion um, that that we are kind of a, a, a climate-free island in Michigan is is false. I do think that, you know, as we think about people migrating to Michigan who are facing, you know, more intense climate impacts, we have to make sure that we're protecting the things that make Michigan special in the first place. We have to make sure that we're doubling down on our Great Lakes, on access to water, making sure that, you know, uh, water isn't being overly commodified as as residents uh, struggle to gain access. We have to make sure that we're investing, you know, in the infrastructure, and that means, of course, electric vehicles and other forms of infrastructure. We also have to make sure that we're actually preparing to make sure that when people come here that, you know, there is a an environment that is uh, full of jobs and opportunity. And so I think, you know, as we think about people moving to Michigan, we also need to make sure that we're doubling down on the things that make Michigan special. Mm-hmm. Okay, I want to thank uh, Beth Gibbons, who is executive director of the American Society of Adaptation Professionals uh, for being with us. Beth, it was really great to get your perspective into this conversation. Thanks so much for joining Thank us. you. Thank yeah. you so much. I really appreciate the chance to be here. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to continue the conversation now with Justin Anwenu and with you, uh, our listeners. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Uh, let's go to Tim in Detroit. Tim, welcome yeah. to the show. Thank you. Um, we're overlooking the major cause of global warming, which is the sea, actually. I watched this uh, documentary called Sea Spiracy, and it talks that uh, says the ocean is the biggest carbon sink we have, uh, 68% or 65%, something like that, uh, more than the Amazon forest, and climate change is being affected by overfishing. Hmm. Because fishing, the fish are cause the carbon sink. And some of our, uh, since 1970, um, most of our major fishing, uh, major uh, food fish are down from from 1970 to now in the 90 percentiles. So it's a dramatic change. Yeah, no. They they say that the oceans are going to be fished out hmm. in another 20, 30 years. So, so Tim, I, I, I have not been aware of uh, that problem. I did not see the, the documentary you're talking about. Uh, Justin Nonwayno, I wonder what you make of that assessment of things, that, uh, that things like overfishing. I mean, I think uh, when you think of... Lots of different things that we're doing in terms of industrialization and and things like that. We always connect those with climate change, but something like overfishing is not something that I think immediately comes to mind when we think about that. Right. I, I will say that's not something that that we traditionally think about, and would love to watch the the documentary that you referenced. But in Michigan and you know the Great Lakes region in general, warmer waters are are definitely threatening native fish populations. So warmer waters are displacing uh, cold water fish like Mm -hmm. trout and salmon um, while benefiting a a lot of invasive species in the Great Lakes. So, you know, there are a lot of connections between our our warming climate and and our ability to, you know, capitalize and and reap the benefits of Great Lakes fishing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Tim, really appreciate the call and uh, the information. 
Let's go to Will in Livonia. Will, what's on your mind? Hey, Stephen, how's it going? Good. Uh, thanks, thanks for taking my call. I'm mm-hmm. good. Yeah, actually, um, this topic is really interesting for my family and myself. We moved to southeast Michigan from um, Tennessee about two years ago, and uh, part of that decision, although not, not entirely, was actually influenced by kind of what the climate would look like in the future. So there was something we definitely considered when we chose Michigan. Wow. Uh, and th- give us a sense of what you've experienced. Do you feel like the climate here is better than it was in Nashville? Yeah. Well, yeah, I think, um, you know, being, I'm, I'm from Kentucky originally and I, you know, I'm, um, I remember my, my childhood, we had a lot more four seasons and, you know, winter was kind of a thing, you know, even in Kentucky, not, not too far removed from the Midwest, but, um, things definitely changed, um, you know, in the last couple of decades, I, I feel living, living in Tennessee as well was just summers were so scorching. You'd have 90 degree, uh-huh. you know, weather even into November. So um, seeing those changes, I thought um, kind of future wise and having a, having a child too, thinking, you know, what, what would be best for her, hmm. you know, future in the midterm. And so moving, moving to the Midwest definitely influenced that. And then, so other factors kind of led us to Michigan economic um, kind of the base of like engineering that's here and, those kind of things as well. Yeah, well, that's a that's a really interesting it's a really interesting story. Will I'm glad you called, uh, Justin on on Wayne, there There's uh, a great example of what we may be kind of facing in the in the future. And Will sounds like the kind of person that we would want to have here and move his family. But that does really require us to to change the way we think about this community and and prepare in a way that we probably haven't uh, quite gotten our minds around yet. You're absolutely right. And I think, you know, one of the things to think about is, you know, we assume that that Michigan is the the Midwestern state that people will move to, you know, who are working to escape the impacts of climate change. But there are other states as well that that will not be facing the, the brunt of climate impacts. And so in that sense, we have to, you know, compete and make sure that we're making the investments so that Michigan is the place that people are deciding to move to, to invest in, to raise a family in. And I think that we do have that opportunity if we make the right investments. Okay. Justin Onwenu, Detroit-based environmental justice organizer. It was really great to have you here for this conversation. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. You have a great day. We're going to take another quick break now, and when we come back, we're going to switch subjects and get a COVID update following the lifted restrictions. Paul Kilgore, who is an associate professor in the Wayne State University College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences, is going to join us once again to catch us up on where we are with the pandemic. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. Detroit Today.